For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks' number one show about your money. Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. So prepare to be empowered. And now, here are your show me the money hosts, Jake Floyd and Jeff Shade. Good morning and welcome to Show Me the Money with Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. On today's show, we're going to be exploring the ins and outs of CDs, certificates of deposit. Also, we'll talk about annuity misconceptions. Also, are we going to be okay in retirement? That's a common question that we get here at Floyd Financial Group, but we'll start off today with talking about the strength of the market. My name is Jeff Shade, and I'm just here to ask the questions, but of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. Jake, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for asking. You're certainly welcome, my friend. I hope that everybody listening to us today is doing well today, too, here in the last bastion of sanity, Springfield, Missouri. we got a lot to talk about on today's show, Jake. According to the Federal Reserve, the U.S. loan market is shrinking rapidly, and apparently there's a similar pattern with what's going on today when compared to 2000 to 2008 and so on. So how does this play a factor in economic growth, do you think? And should we really be concerned about a tightening loan market? market. Absolutely, Jeff. I think when it comes to lending, you know, lending is kind of the lifeblood of the economy. A lot of people don't know that because they're not necessarily involved in business and that kind of thing. But everything from car loans to credit cards, all the way to business loans that help fund payroll and, you know, startup companies needing to borrow capital, the cost of that capital matters a lot on every possible level. And as we know, interest rates have gone up from zero basically to five and a quarter at this point. And, you know, it's really starting to put pressure on things. As a lot of people are probably aware, week before last, Fitch downgraded the U.S. debt slightly and kind of put it on a watch. And, you know, there's a lot of people shaken by that. And then last week, you know, we had all the bank downgrades that happened from Moody's, which is the other rating agency. And they said, hey, all these banks We're going to downgrade them. We're going to put them on negative watch, meaning they may go down further. And then put a lot of other banks didn't actually downgrade them, but put them on watch. And so, you know, Moody's is a rating agency. That's what they get paid to do. But they're concerned. If you've been listening to this show, you know that I am concerned about all these things. And especially, you just can't raise interest rates from zero to five and a quarter and not expect anything to happen. You can't go from a 2% 30-year mortgage to an 8% with good credit and expect nothing to change. Yeah, and I was looking at this headline, too, that you alerted me to about the bank downgrades, and that was really quite alarming to me. There were a lot of names that I knew on there. Moody changed its outlook to negative for 11 banks, including Capital One. A lot of people have Capital One credit cards and Fifth Third Bank Corp. Of course, Fifth Third does a lot of car loans. And I think really this is reflective of the fact that consumer debt is really at an all-time high, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that you know Moody's in particular is showing their hand a little bit with who they chose to downgrade here, right? So Capital One is obviously a massive credit card provider, so they're concerned about the consumer's ability to pay that money back, and therefore they are 
concerned about Capital One. They're concerned with Fifth Third because they're concerned about the used car market and whether the values will hold and whether people will be able to actually pay those off. And if you were to go trade cars, is your car actually going to be worth less than you owe on it, depending on what happens here at some point? We've, we've seen this environment where used car prices have just gone up, 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 up. Right. And so eventually it'll be the opposite. And if it starts to free fall a little bit, you could be in a situation where you bought a used vehicle for $30,000 and you trade cars a couple of years later and you still owe, let's say, 20000 but the vehicle's only worth fifteen. Right. Right. And so that's kind of the concern that I think Moody's has with Fifth Third. And so it's very insightful to watch what the rating agencies are looking at. And while the main U.S. downgrade of the U.S. debt is concerning, and I think it's a good thing that we are paying attention to that, the notion that the United States debt is not as good a quality as Sweden and Canada and some of these other places is total lunacy. So I want to make sure that our listeners understand that I am not panicked about this. Hmm. While it is concerning, the United States is not going to be gone tomorrow. Your money in the bank is going to be safe. The Federal Reserve has been very clear to this point that they don't intend to have anybody losing their money at the bank or not being able to access their capital. You know, we saw back in March, whenever the SVB Bank and Signature Bank and First Republic Bank were having trouble, they injected $300 billion over the weekend to shore things up there and really totally ignored FDIC insurance and just backstopped the entire thing. So that shows they understand what's at stake. They understand how high the stakes are and they're not going to mess around with it. So I don't want people to take away from this that they need to go clear their bank account out because that's definitely not what I'm saying. But I do think that the stock market and therefore real estate prices and those types of things, asset prices in general, could be affected if this continues and buy some of these downgrades. And this negative outlook for Capital One and Citizens and Fifth Third Bank, I mean, that really has a great effect on consumers because a lot of people, I mean, how many people really pay cash for a car completely or pay cash for a house, that sort of thing. So that's going to have a big effect on uh, people's ability to borrow money. And if they do, certainly the interest rates that they're going to pay on that. But let's talk about the businesses because businesses really rely on being able to buy money at good rates to do that. And, I mean, we've all seen these trucks in the road from Yellow Corp. And I was recently surprised, Jake, to see that Yellow Corp has gone under, which could be due in part to the higher interest rates. Is that what happened with Yellow Corp. You know, I think it's a combination of things. Um, you know, a, a lot of trucking companies are still smashing it and they're doing a really good job and they're making record profits, but they're making those record profits by raising their prices a lot. For anybody out there that's unaware, you know, inflation has been going up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sure that most people are aware that uh, gas costs nearly triple what it did when uh, Trump was in office. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of different things cost a lot more money. And again, I'm saying this kind of jokingly because obviously everybody knows everything is way more expensive. But that also goes for the cost of shipping things. And so certain companies are doing better than others at absorbing those costs or passing them through to their customers. You know, we saw a few weeks ago when the railways like, you know, Union Pacific and some of those names reported that they had really good, strong earnings. But a lot of that's just because they're collecting so much more money 
to ship things because of rail and trucking are kind of competitors in some ways where, you know, depending on pricing, it might make sense to use rail or use even a bimodal transportation, you know, where you see those trailers that can be loaded onto the train and vice versa. So they kind of keep each other in check, but it seems that the rail companies might be doing a little bit better in this particular environment. So when you have companies that fail to evolve, you end up with a yellow corp, yellow freight situation. So it's very important that businesses and consumers be able to borrow money at reasonable rates, and that is not the case right now. Jake, as you talked about gasoline prices, I have noticed that uh, they're up about 60 cents a gallon in some parts of the country. And that really is quite distressing for people who need to drive a lot or who use their cars or trucks for uh, business. What can we blame this on if blame is the right word to use? You know, honestly, uh, really what's happened is the federal government has depressed oil prices artificially by draining our strategic reserve. So let me explain that a little bit. President Biden last year decided that it would be a good idea to take our oil reserves, which these reserves are set aside for like wartime and major emergency situations, hurricanes, things like that. We set aside this oil and it's designed for that. So Biden decides that because he can't run the government, that he's going to just start draining this to get gas prices down. And while it did work, he artificially pushed oil from $130 a barrel down to about 65, 67, 68 on average for the last little bit. So he has stopped doing that. In fact, he has said that he would like to refill the strategic reserve. And so that big increase in supply brought the prices of oil down and therefore the prices of gas down. But now that he is no longer draining our strategic reserve, because frankly, he almost ran out of things to drain, we're back to a normal oil market. And I think the new normal of oil is probably going to go to $100 a barrel. So as much as I hate the 60 cents gain over the last 60 days or so, as you're alluding to, Jeff, I think people better get ready for 4.25 a gallon here in the Midwest. So those gasoline prices were artificially low. And as you said, I mean, once we get into three and a half, four dollars a gallon, depending upon what part of the country that you're in, we should really plan on paying those for the foreseeable future. Jake, these bank downgrades, the volatile market, we've talked about gasoline prices, inflation. It would seem that if you have a retirement that's going to last 30 years, that you really should plan for or expect these sort of things to happen on a regular basis. Is that about right? Markets are very emotional, and so that goes for when they're going up and when they're going down. So all things are cyclical, and that includes the stock market, meaning everything kind of goes in a cycle. So there's good times, then there's bad times, then there's good times, and there's bad times. And, you know, one kind of perpetuates the other. So, yes, the answer is, you know, over 30 years in retirement, you're going to have at least three full cycles where you go from amazing to horrible and back the other way. And so that's why it's so important to have a plan in place to deal with volatility when it comes up. As volatility continues to kind of wreak havoc on people, most people are probably over-risked that I find in this area. So like when somebody comes into me and they say, hey, here's my stuff, a lot of times it's all at one place, like, uh, you know, Edward Jones or something like that. And, you know, the only thing Edward Jones really likes to sell much of is stocks and bonds, you know. The problem with that is when you have a year like last year where both of those are down 20% on the year, 
and it really creates some heartache for some people who really need income to live on. And if they're down that much and they're taking income out, it's very difficult for them to get back to even. So I think knowing these cycles are coming, it's important to have some protections in place and to really be able to use any type of financial product that is appropriate for my clients is one of the biggest things that I want to do here. The reason why you know, our door doesn't say Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley or something on it is because I wanted to be able to offer the exact product that is best for my client in the situation that they're in. That varies widely from client to client. There's some clients that are the same. There's some clients that are very different, but it's very important to be able to curb some of that volatility so that you can sleep at night and you can get to the other side and you'll be better off for it. Jacob, our listeners are in that retirement red zone, and I'm talking about a few years before retirement, or maybe they've just retired, and they are in the stock market. Should they simply just ride this stock market roller coaster, or should they react to it and do something else? What's your opinion on that? So I think unless you're going to be watching it all day, every day, it's very difficult to time things. In fact, I would say that it's probably impossible to time things and say, hey, let's get in, let's get out, let's do that. What we like to do is be kind of tactical about things. And so when it comes to the market, we like to lean in and out of different sectors based on macroeconomic events. What we don't want to do is unless there's some kind of major event, like maybe a couple of exceptions to this, right? So COVID would be an exception where... You know, we could see that coming. They're saying, hey, we're going to make everybody stay in their houses for 30 days and we're going to lay off like a third of the workforce during that time. It doesn't take a genius to understand that's going to hurt the market. So we did raise quite a bit of cash when that happened. And, you know, it ended up putting us quite a bit above the S&P in 2020 because not because we were more aggressive, but just because we didn't take a lot of the loss in March of 2020. Well, Jake, that's been a lot to unpack on today's show, and I want to take just a moment to remind our listeners that they can have a conversation with you to ask their questions about the market, the economy, the stock market, and how they should react to this volatile situation. If you need answers, then request your no cost, no obligation, no judgment, Floyd Financial Group Retirement Review by calling 417-889-7233. That's 417-889-7233. Now, when you call, you're going to get a friendly voice on the other end of the line, more than likely it's going to be the lovely Ashley who will gather some basic information, then set you up with a conversation with Jake or Randy to create a path towards a successful retirement. Now, remember, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could uncover some blind spots that, when addressed, may help improve your quality of life in a retirement that could last as long as 30 years. Once again, that number to call, 417-889-7233. It's 417-889-7233. Or you can request your complimentary consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Jake, it's time for a break. When we come back, we'll talk about explaining the ins and outs of CDs and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for another helping of some more real money talk? Thought so. Now, here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your hosts, Jake Floyd and Jeff Shane. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and in this segment, we're going to be talking about the ins and outs of CDs, certificates of deposit. 
That's right. I'm glad you specified that, Jake, instead of compact discs. I just read the other day <laughs> that vinyl records have surpassed the sale of compact discs, but that doesn't surprise me because I'm surprised that anybody buys a compact disc anymore. But we're talking about certificates of deposit. And with volatility of the market, you know, a lot of people who are at or near retirement are looking for safe money alternatives. And we want to really focus on the CDs in this particular segment because as simple as they are, I think they can be a little complex. So let's start with a comprehensive explanation. First of all, certificate of deposit, what is that? How does it work? The basic idea behind the CD is you loan the bank your money and they pay you an interest rate. And so that interest rate is predetermined as well as the length of time. So you can buy, some places will even do weekly type CDs, but a lot of them will do one month, six months, 12 months, three years, five years, and so on. And so the idea is, let's say we do a one-year CD, that means you're going to loan the bank your money for one year, and they're going to pay you a predetermined rate of interest. So right now, a one-year CD might pay 4 to 5%. And so they'll say, all right, let's say you, it's $1,000. You give them $1,000, and then if you have a 5% interest rate, that means that they will give you $50 over the term, and then they will give you your $1,000 back. And so the basic idea of the CD is it's a way to keep your money at the bank, earn some interest, but also not put that money in harm's way, like in the stock market or real estate or gold or something like that. So as you mentioned, the term links can be three months, six months. They can be a year, two years, five years. It would seem that the longer your money is on deposit with the bank, the more interest that you would get. But is that always the case? So it is not always the case. It is normally the case, probably about 80% of the time. But when we have interesting financial conditions like we do now, the bond market dictates via an inverted yield curve, kind of what the CD market is doing. So Bonds are similar to CDs, except that you are loaning that money to the government or to a corporation. And there's a set period of time, set interest rate, all that kind of thing. And so the bond market kind of dictates to all the other markets what's happening. And so right now, where it should normally be a one-year pays less than a three-year pays less than a five-year, the way it is right now is we have an inverted bond yield curve, meaning the best paying interest rate is six months, and then it just goes down from there. So you get less on a one-year, less on a three-year, less on a five-year. That's because the bond market is flashing a recession signal saying, hey, we're not optimistic on the future, and we don't want to tie our money up too long because we don't want to get hurt if some of these companies can't pay us back. And so all that is translating into the CD market as well. In fact, uh, I was at a well-known local bank here. We won't name any names, but you know they had a six-month CD and a one-year CD that paid just a little bit less. And I said, so how much are you paying on a five-year CD? And so the, the one-year, I think, paid like 4.8 or something like that. And I said, so how much is a five-year CD? He said, you know, let me look. Hold on. I'm not sure. And so he starts looking. And it paid 0.85 wow. on a five-year CD. So you would actually get more interest on the one-year CD than you would over the entire five-year period. And so the reason for that is that banks and the government and markets in general don't think that interest rates are going to stay up here. They think we're going to have a recession, and then the Fed will be forced to lower interest rates. So that's why that is. But basically, as far as CDs go, you know, we have our term length, we have our interest rate, and then the amount of that CD. Some places have a minimum amount for different interest rates. Maybe you get a better rate if you have more money at stake there. If you have other banking relationships at a bank, sometimes that will influence the amount of interest you may get 
on a CD. You know, so if you have your checking account at that bank and your savings account at that bank, they might be willing to let you have a little bit extra interest just because they want to kind of keep all that business together and keep you as a customer. It wasn't that long ago that we were seeing interest rates on CDs. I mean, they were like 1%. They were less than 1%. As you said, the really long term was less than 1%. But now I am seeing 7% on a CD. Is that too good to be true? And what are the details on a 7% CD rate? A 7% CD is a little bit too good to be true. So I would imagine on a 7% CD, you're going to see things like they're going to require other banking relationships like we talked about, or they'll max it out at like $1,000, meaning they pay you 7%, but only on $1,000. So the, all they're really giving up is 20 bucks for the year of interest rates because they normally would pay five. Now they're paying seven, so that's $20. But what that does is it it's a loss leader, really, right? So a loss leader is where a company comes out and says, hey, I'm going to sell this so cheap that I'm actually losing money on it, but it gets you in the door and you have other services and they still make money. 7% is likely that's the case. You can see maybe five and a half at this point that might not be that way, but that's probably about the limit where they're not losing money on it. But certainly if you have money in checking and money market, I see it every single day in here. People come in and they don't realize how much interest is available out there now because it's been, you know, we've been near zero rates for almost 15 years. People are just used to not making any money on their money. And so, you know, I'll have somebody come in, they got $100,000 in a savings account making 0.1%. So that bank is taking that money, buying short-term treasuries and short-term bonds and making five and a quarter and just pocketing the difference. And so, you know, hold your banks accountable, go to them and say, hey, there's lots of ways to make interest. I know you're making lots of interest on me. What can we do to get my interest rate up? You know, there's lots of, from money markets to CDs and other arrangements, you know, there's lots of ways to do that. But don't accept 0.1% on a large sum of money from your bank. CDs offer security and stability, Jake, but they also come with a significant trade-off, and that is limited liquidity. Let's say that I deposit $1,000, $2,000 here in a six-month CD, but something happens, and I need that before the six months is up. What happens then? If we take the money out early, there will be some sort of penalty. It used to be back in the day that that penalty was three months' worth of interest. So that means... You know, if you had a 5% CD and, you know, three months of that would be basically one and a quarter percent of that interest is what they would charge you. So you get all your money back and a lot of the interest, but you get charged three months interest. Now, because interest rates have been low for so long, people are like, well, so what if I don't get my 0.1% interest, you know? So people were not staying in the CDs. And so what they did is they now start charging you a penalty on the principal amount. So you need to be very careful when you're setting up a CD and understand what the early withdrawal penalties are just to make sure you don't get set up in something you don't fully understand. But if you're on a six-month CD, chances are you know, you're not going to need that money in there. We, you shouldn't be putting money tied up that you're going to need and you know you're going to need anyway. So we want to have a good emergency fund on the side and make sure that you have some money to get to. You know, We don't want to put all our money in a CD or really in any investment for that matter because it, it does take a little diversity to accomplish most people's goals. Jake, we've talked about getting CDs at a bank, but are there other places that you can purchase a CD? Yes, Jeff, actually. So inside of a brokerage account, so think like, you know, TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab, or, you know, Merrill Lynch, you can trade CDs almost like that they're a bond. So CDs can have a Q-SIP, which is kind of an identifier. Once a CD has been set up in a brokerage account, you can then sell it. And so if interest rates go up, 
the value of that CD can fluctuate. But if you hold it to maturity, assuming the company, the bank is still in business, you know, you'll get your principal back. And so it creates an interesting opportunity when you can trade CDs very easily and you're not roped into the term. However, the value of that CD can fluctuate quite a bit. And so, you know, you just need to really understand all the ins and outs of those types of uh, CDs. There's also market-linked CDs where, you know, you can have an index like the S&P 500 and you can set up inside of an FDIC-insured CD inside of a brokerage account, and you can say, hey, I want to participate if the market's up, but I don't want to lose my money if the market's down. So that's another way you can do CDs. But the by and large, again, the base effect of the CD is we get principal safety is the idea, and you get a certain interest rate over a certain length of time. I think in today's world, it's hard to get a good rate past about one year. Mm -hmm. But in a normal world, you would get more interest the longer you went. And so five-year CDs are fairly common in a healthy environment. But this is just one tool in the toolbox. You know, as we've talked about before on this show, Jeff, we have a pretty extensive toolbox, you know, of different tools we can use, different investments we can use. And CDs are one of those that uh, sometimes makes sense, sometimes doesn't. As you can imagine, over the last 15 years, CDs haven't made a lot of sense in banks or in brokerage accounts or anywhere else because they were paying 0.2, for a lot of that time, um, certainly under one. And so, when CDs become attractive, like they are kind of right now, if we were to get through the other side of this and not have a recession like a lot of people are predicting, I don't think that's very likely. But if we were, you would see the CD rates on the longer CDs start to come up. And that could be a good idea to kind of lock in that interest rate for a little bit longer. But again, there's quite a bit to CDs. And that is one more reason why you should have, you know, a financial advisor, somebody who knows the ins and outs, somebody who's paying attention to this all day, every day to help you kind of select what types of investments might make sense in your situation for your goals with your amount of assets and those types of things. You know, this is something this is we live and breathe this. And so having a plan and having a professional help you through it is very important. Jake, I think our listeners have deduced that there are some benefits to having a CD, safety and stability, predictable returns, diversification. They can be an inflation hedge if inflation doesn't get too far out of control. But there are also some drawbacks to a CD. Can you talk about some of those? Yeah, most of the drawbacks are kind of the flip side of the upsides of them, right? So, you know, we get to lock in our rate for the given amount of time, let's six months, one year, five years in a CD, but that also means that's all the interest we're going to get, you know? So if you have a 5% CD, but real estate and the stock market are going up 20%, we're obviously going to be wishing we had something else other than the CD. So we're, we're kind of stuck with whatever that interest rate is. That's a positive and potentially a negative, right? Same thing with the term. The length of that CD can be a positive, can be a negative. Because if you were to do a one-year CD and then the Fed started lowering interest rates, you'd be really glad you locked in the 5%. Conversely, if you did a one-year CD and then they keep raising interest rates, you're going to have a 5% while maybe they're offering six. And so you know, that length of time can be both a positive and a negative. So again, the biggest thing is just understanding what you're getting yourself into, 
understanding the potential penalties, understanding the length of time and the way the interest works, how often it compounds, all those types of things is very important when selecting a CD or choosing a CD over maybe some other type of investment or choosing some other investment instead of a CD. Jake, it would occur to me that there are different strategies for using CDs, and among them would be something called laddering CDs, where you buy one, then you buy another, and they come to maturity at different rates of time. Can you talk about that strategy, why that may be useful or not? Sure. So in a normal interest rate environment, that would potentially be a good strategy because it diversifies away some of your risk as far as what interest rates might be on the day that you re-up that CD. In this environment, I'm not sure that makes sense because you can only get that good rate for six months or nine months, maybe a year at most. So in, in a normal environment though, a lot of people will do three year rolling CDs or maybe even five year rolling CDs where you say, okay, this year I have 20% of my money in CDs coming up and then next year I have 20 more percent, but they're all in five year length CDs to get that extra interest. So that can definitely be a strategy. It just kind of depends on your goals and, and what your goals are for the CD money specifically. A lot of people that have CDs also have other investments, real estate, stock market, bonds, uh, annuities, things like that. And so um, all that kind of comes into account when deciding on a strategy. Jake, I'm sure based on our conversation that our listeners may have some questions about CDs and how they may fit into their portfolio. So if you do have questions about CDs, we invite you to call us and request your complimentary retirement review from Floyd Financial Group. It's just a friendly conversation with Jake or Randy that'll cover a wide range of topics based on your individual situation. So you can proactively adjust your financial plan to address your retirement journey and any blind spots that may hinder you from reaching your goals. Again, there's no cost, no obligation and no judgment. Jake will meet you where you are. That number is 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. One call could make all the difference. You could also request your complimentary plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. If you're just joining us, this is Show Me the Money with Jake Floyd. I'm Jeff Shade. We just finished discussing CDs. And if you want to hear the show again, don't worry. We're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcast and search for Show Me the Money, Jake or Randy Floyd. You're going to be getting this show and all of our past shows so you can stay on top of your wealth and your journey to a successful retirement. Jake, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about annuity misconceptions and more when our show continues here on 104.1 KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. We're back with your financial catch of the day, and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your hosts, Jake Floyd and Jeff Shane. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and we just got done covering CDs, and we're going to start talking about annuities now. And Jake, over the years, annuities have gotten some really bad press. I mean, people come to the office regularly saying that annuities are a terrible product, often with some common misconceptions. And of course, they hear those ads from the people saying, I hate annuities and you should too. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But we want to focus here on the misconceptions of annuities. So let's start with the first one here. Annuities have too many hidden fees. Is that always the case? So it's definitely not always the case. Uh, Most of the time when we're talking about outrageous and egregious fees. It's because we're talking about a variable annuity. So a variable annuity is a little bit like investing in the stock market. You have basically sub-accounts that work like mutual funds. So they're a collection of stocks and or bonds that are in there. And in a variable annuity, you have a mortality and expense fee. 
you have investment fees, you have rider fees. And so when you add up all those fees, you know, they've gotten a little bit better in the last 10 years, but you know, you're still a lot of times going to be paying 3% or maybe even more. Uh, I've seen them over 5% if they're loaded up with a bunch of riders. And so if you think about for a minute, if the market is up 10% and you have 5.1% in fees, that means you made 4.9%. Conversely, if the market is down 10%, you are down 15.1% because you're paying that fee. And so, again, not all of them have fees that high, somewhere between, you know, two and a half and five. But again, a lot of them are between two and a half and three and a half, but it's still just a ton of fees. When you get outside of variable annuities, there are some other annuities that have fees, but there are annuities that have no fee at all. We try to lean toward those because, you know, nobody likes to pay fees. There are appropriate reasons to pay fees, either if you can buy up participation on different indexes or maybe it guarantees a death benefit or guarantees an income stream. So there are reasons to pay fees on different types of annuities, but usually the variable annuities are the ones that really stack the fees on you. And basically, there are three types of annuities, and I'll say basically here, as you talked about, there are the variable annuities, which may follow an index to the market, and uh, it's sort of like being in the market to some extent. You can win, but you can also lose, but there are also fixed annuities and fixed index annuities. So let's start with uh, that and talk about the fixed annuities. Explain those a little bit and why they may be a little bit safer. So a fixed annuity, uh, the word fixed in there means that you cannot lose your money. So anytime anything says fixed when it's relating to annuities, that means that it's safe and you can't lose your principal due to market volatility. So on a fixed annuity, a straight fixed annuity, most of the time we're referring to a MIGA or a multi-year guarantee annuity. Think of this just like a CD. So basically you might set up a five-year annuity, it pays 5% a year, and then at the end of the term, it's liquid and you get your money back. A fixed indexed annuity is kind of a hybrid where you have like we talked about the market linked CD, it works kind of like that where you have principal protection and you can gain based on what an index like the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ, you can link to these indexes where you can't lose if they go down, but you get some of the gain as they go up. And so those are pretty popular for people in retirement because they can kind of put a floor under some of the money to where if we have a lot of volatility, it can take a lot of the risk out of the, the portion of money that goes in there. And uh, I think that's kind of the basic difference between, uh, like you said, the variable annuity is, is a little bit more like being in the stock market. Right. So the fixed index annuity follows an index. I mean, you do have a floor of zero. That means that you can't lose money. You can make money. So that is a relatively safe fixed index. And of course, if you really want to roll the dice, there is the variable annuity. But let's continue to talk about some of the objections to annuities or some of the misconceptions. I don't have access to my money. That is an objection that we hear once in a while. Is that necessarily true? You know, Jeff, that's not true at all. There are some limits to how much liquidity you have on a fixed annuity or a fixed index annuity, but you can still get access to some of that money. So many annuities have a 10% free withdrawal provision, meaning you can have up to 10% per year of what's in the annuity in any given year. So you can use that to take income or RMDs, or maybe you just want to take a vacation or whatever it is. You do have access, but you do have limited liquidity. So a lot of fixed index annuities, they'll be set up for 5, 7, 10, 12-year period where basically you agree to leave the money that long knowing you can take a 10% free withdrawal. And the idea there is to get some market-linked gains in the case of the fixed index annuity 
but also make that principle be protected. So it's certainly not a home for all of your money. If anybody comes in and says, hey, you need to put 80% of your money into a fixed index annuity, I would say that that is definitely not suitable. And you need to be very careful when you're putting money in there because it is tied up for a certain length of time. That's why it's important to be able to have several different investments in your portfolio where sometimes it is appropriate to use fixed index annuities, but it's not a one trick pony. It's not the only solution out there, as some people have said. And so I think that understanding the terms of the annuity, making sure you understand what parts are guaranteed, what parts are not guaranteed, understanding how principal protection works and all that, that's important. But probably the most important thing is understanding how you can access that money. And for that reason, there's only a handful of annuities that we will use here. There's literally thousands of annuities out there offered from dozens of insurance companies. And so it's very important to have the right company and the right annuity set up if you're going to use one. We're talking about annuity misconceptions with Jake Floyd at Floyd Financial Group. The next one, Jake, is if I die, my money dies with me. Is that necessarily true? 30 years ago, that might have been true. And there used to be a lot of companies that would not allow you to end the term of the annuity if you pass away. The vast majority of annuities today become liquid upon the death of what's called the annuitant. The annuitant is the person who gets paid basically in an annuity, uh, or it's known as the insured of the policy. And so annuities are only offered by insurance companies. And so they tend to look kind of like life policies when you actually dissect them. They're not, but they kind of look that way. And so it is important to understand and make sure that your annuity is liquid upon your death so that it can go to your beneficiaries. Maybe you have a spouse who's going to need income if you're gone, that type of thing. But the vast majority of them are liquid for death. Many, many annuities have a terminal illness policy where if you have 12 months or less to live, they will allow you to take that money out with no penalty. A lot of annuities are starting to have chronic illness riders where you, if you're confined to a nursing home or some of them are ADL driven, if you have activities of daily living that you can't perform, they will allow money to be liquid for those reasons. And so again, it's just one of those things where if you're not looking at annuities all day, every day, probably need somebody to help you navigate because again, there's so many different setups and so many different companies that offer them that it is very important to understand your product. And don't be afraid to ask questions about these. If you have somebody talking to you about annuities, ask them all the questions, you know, because sometimes they gloss over some of the details. We definitely want to make sure that you understand what you're buying if you decide to buy one. And another pushback that we get once in a while, Jake, with annuities is that inflation will outweigh my returns. Is that possible with a fixed annuity? How does it work with a fixed index annuity? I mean, is that true? So obviously, if inflation's running 9% and you have a 4% fixed annuity, you're definitely going to get outpaced by inflation. The fixed index annuity has a little bit better shot depending on the setup, depending on the company. Again, there are some really great fixed index annuities out there, but most of them are not really great. So it's important to know which ones to look at and under which circumstances. But there are some out there that can return 6 7 maybe even 8% depending on market situations. Again, there's definitely no guarantee of that. Um, and it's going to be based on what's going on in markets and that kind of thing. But you can get a lot closer to being protected from this type of inflation in the right fixed index annuity than you probably will from a fixed annuity standpoint. And I think 
understanding how your fixed index annuity credits interest is really important. So uh, there can be cap rates, there can be participation rates, understanding what index you're actually linked to, like the S&P 500, the NASDAQ. There's hundreds of smart beta indexes out there now where they have kind of created these index rules-based indexes at lots of different companies, and they can get very confusing. And so, again, knowing which ones of those to be in and which ones not to be in all have an effect on returns. And, you know, obviously how much we're making is going to determine whether or not we're outpacing inflation. Jake, I've seen these articles that actually state that the only way to draw money from an annuity is to take monthly payments. I mean, that's one way to take a distribution, but is that the only way? It's definitely not the only way. Again, this is another thing that varies widely from contract to contract when it comes to annuities. Some of them will allow for systematic monthly payments. Some will not allow that, actually. They'll only allow you to take the money out once a year. I don't use those because I don't like that. I don't like being handcuffed. One thing you'll notice as we talk about investments, I'm really big on flexibility. I want to be able to change things if they need to be changed. I don't want to be roped into something forever. So that's actually one type of annuity we haven't talked about is an immediate annuity. And so an immediate annuity is what your pensions are funded with. And so Mm -hmm. basically an immediate annuity is where you take uh, a large sum of money, maybe you know five hundred thousand dollars, and they say, "Hey, we'll pay you you know twenty five hundred dollars a month for the rest of your life." But that five hundred thousand dollars just goes away. So again, I don't like the rigidity or the lack of flexibility in that setup. So we we really like to have uh, as many options as we can. Sometimes people are taking systematic withdrawals, meaning they're taking monthly income. But then they're like, hey, you know, uh, I want to take my grandkids to Disney, so I need $100,000. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, It probably won't cost quite that much, but (laughs) prices have gone up quite a bit. They have. But you want to go on vacation. You say, hey, I want to have an extra $5,000 to spend. Can I do that? And the answer is, on most policies, yes, you can do that, as long as you're still under the 10% free withdrawal limit. There are policies out there that have larger or smaller free withdrawals, but the vast majority of them are 10% per year. So understanding how all that works is going to determine how happy you are when you purchase one of these. So, Jake, it appears to me that there are a lot of upsides. There are a lot of positives about having an annuity. But what are some of the negatives? What are some of the reasons why someone may not want to do an annuity, why it might not be right for them? So I think that if you are an investor who really wants to capture as much of the upside as humanly possible, there's a good likelihood that you're not going to get all of the gain when markets move. You know, you're going to get part of that gain. Now, in exchange for that, you get a huge amount of safety in most of these situations. And so that's why it's usually best to have this as part of a blended investment plan with other types of investments. So every pile of money out there for somebody has a purpose. And it's important to understand, okay, this money I want set aside for this. This money is set aside for retirement. And understanding the purpose of that money really plays a big role into how much money is appropriate to put in an annuity or put in the stock market or put wherever. And so for some people, an annuity is not appropriate. And uh, I think the notion that everybody should have an annuity is crazy. But there are people, if you value safety, you value being able to know that you're not going to uh, have as much volatility as maybe you've been used to during your time and your 401k and things like that. If you want to have a certain amount of dependability, that can be a good thing. But I think that 
this, just like the stock market, just like real estate, just like CDs, there's no one answer for everybody. We, we need to consider the purpose of that money before we can really determine whether it's appropriate to be an annuity or any other investment. Jake, I'm sure that based on our conversation that our listeners may have some questions about annuities and whether or not it is right for them in their retirement plan. So if you need answers about annuities, then request your no cost, no obligation, no judgment Floyd Financial Group retirement review by calling 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233. Now, when you call, you'll get the friendly Ashley on the other end of the line. She'll gather some basic information from you, then set you up with a conversation with Jake Randy to create a plan for successful retirement. Now remember, this consultation is not going to cost you a dime, but it could be the most important call that you will make all year. Once again, that number 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. You can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. That is floydfinancialgroup.com. You're listening to Show Me the Money. Thank you very much for joining us here on this fine Saturday morning. We will take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about whether or not you're going to be okay in retirement we'll focus on five key areas all that and more when our show continues right here on 104.1 fm ksgf where springfield comes to talk ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how good because it's time for more show me the money with your financial sherpa jake floyd Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and in this segment, we're going to be talking about one of the questions I get asked a lot, which is, am I going to be okay in retirement? And we're going to look at five areas that are going to determine whether or not you're going to be okay in retirement or whether you're going to be found wanting. Well, that is a big question, Jake. Am I going to be okay in retirement? Because there's so many aspects to that. So let's just tackle it, as you said, from five key points. When people ask that question, I would imagine the first answer is one that we usually say is it depends. It depends on a lot of things, but let's focus on these five key areas. The number one would be probably protecting what you've saved, right? You know, Jeff, protection can be a very important part of a retirement plan. Um, it depends a little bit on what your goals are. It also depends on how much money you have saved. You know, if you need $20,000 a year off your investments and you have $2 million, protecting that money is a little bit less important than it is if you're pulling 5% or, you know, in that situation, if you're pulling $100,000. So as with everything on this show, it depends. But I do think that protection for the vast majority of people is something they need to start considering in retirement or when they get close to retirement, because most people have funded their 401ks, pensions, that type of thing over their working life, over their career. And when they start to get towards retirement, some people don't understand the need for safety. People are like, well, I just want to make as much money as I possibly can. Well, that's a good strategy, except that when you start taking money out in retirement, things change a little bit because you can't just wait for the market to come back the way you did when you were accumulating money. You still need that income. And if you'd spend money as a balance is decreasing, you're taking an increasing percentage of that money as the balance goes down. And I think having a certain amount of protection for a lot of people is very important in retirement. And most people certainly listening to this show and in this area are relatively conservative compared to a lot of other parts of the country just because of where we live. And so I don't usually have to tell people they need protection. It's more usually I have to tell them that we need to make a little bit more money and maybe take a little more risk, not a little less. 
So time is a superpower. And of course, when you get into retirement, you have less time than you would have if you're 40, 50 years of age. So security, not losing that money and safety is very important when you begin to get into retirement. Now, the next one is to have an income plan. That's turning that money that you have accumulated into a distribution plan. Can you comment on that? When it comes to having income, you know, again, a lot of people are used to not taking anything out of their 401k. They've never taken anything out of their, they retire, they have this big pile of money and they're like, okay, so now what, what do I do with this? How do I retire, get some income off of this, maybe to supplement social security, all that kind of thing. And that's what we do all day, every day here. That's what we're doing, you know, in all these meetings that we're doing. The main thing probably that we're doing is figuring out how to take income in the most, we'll talk about this one here in a minute, but tax efficient way to distribute that money where you have a very high likelihood of not running out of money and being able to use that money as efficiently as possible in retirement. And I think many times the way that'll get set up, depending on what investments we use, it will be direct deposited, kind of like your paycheck or like social security. So uh, you don't have to like go to the bank and cash a check every time you get income. It'll feel similar to, again, social security or maybe the way you're getting paid now. But we can set that up where it's, uh, you know, during the month, we can do a couple times a month. I have somebody that actually gets weekly paychecks, Mm -hmm. if you prefer that. Personally, I don't want to have to do my bills any more than I absolutely have to. So I like (laughs) once a month. But um, and most people prefer once a month. But, you know, if you prefer more than that, you can have that. But it's important to understand how withdrawing money out of your account can deplete your money depending on how much you're pulling out. And that's probably the primary determining factor as far as whether people will run out of money is how much they're pulling off their investments as a percentage of the total. So let's say, again, if you have a million bucks, you know, the 4% rule would say that we should pull $40,000 or less off of that money to make sure we don't run out of money. The 4% rule is a pretty good guideline as far as you, you don't want to be way more than that. So I'd say 5% is kind of the upper threshold, depending on how much protection you have in place, that kind of thing. And again, this varies widely from person to person, but the 4% rule can be a good guideline. So again, if you have 500,000, that's 20,000 a year, or, you know, 1,666, 67 a month, if we want to get exact. Um, <laughs> yeah. But some people look at it annually, some people look at it monthly, it kind of depends on what other guaranteed income you have like social security if you have a pension if you if you were in the military if you have you know like city utilities is a is one around here that has pretty good sized pensions other places have pensions and so if you have pension and a lot of other guaranteed income maybe you don't need as much income off of your investments and there might be a different way that makes sense to withdraw money maybe you have property that has property taxes due on it once a year so instead of you don't really need the monthly income but once a year, we want to pull in here and get all the property tax money out. That's something we can do. So that's all something that we'll discuss when you come in for your consultation. Am I going to be okay in retirement? That's what we're talking about right now with Jake of Floyd Financial Group. Having an income plan, very, very important. And of course, not running out of money. Next one is working out health care options. I mean, those are two of the biggest expenses that you'll have in retirement, taxes and health care. So let's start off with health care. That includes Medicare and long-term care. So how do you handle talking about that, Jake? Yeah, I think there's one more facet to this, which is if you're retiring before 65, you also have to figure out your health insurance before Medicare. And I think that might be one of the biggest factors in determining whether you can retire before 65 is 
can you handle the huge cost that President Obama has handed to us in the form of health insurance? As many people are aware, you used to be able to go out and buy individual health insurance from a variety of companies. And even at age 62, for a couple, you know, you might spend four, five, six hundred dollars a month. Now it's two thousand dollars a month. That's a huge cost for the average person. And that's a big consideration when it comes to retiring early. If you are on Medicare, you don't have that problem quite as much. But as we get up there in age, most of your costs spent on healthcare will happen after you retire. And so there's a lot of things that come into play, but the biggest one that can reach out and, and grab you is long-term care. If you have a situation where somebody has dementia or needs help with their activities of daily living, you know, you get into home health care, independent living, assisted living, nursing home, that type of thing. All the cost on that stuff is way higher than it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And so that's one thing that can wipe you out if you're not careful. And there are some planning strategies that we can use to make sure that certain assets are not eaten up by the cost of care. But that's probably something that we would discuss one-on-one, -on -one, depending on what would make sense. You know, if you have a lot of farmland versus IRA money, that would vastly make the idea different as far as how we might plan for the cost of long-term care. You know, we have traditional long-term care insurance policies. Some people have those. If you don't already have it, it's pretty hard to buy it now because the cost of it's just gone up literally almost 10x, you know, 10 times what it was when I first got in this business. And so it's not as good a solution for most people. There are some asset-based options where you can deposit a certain amount of money and leverage that money to where maybe you get three to one spending for care costs. And so, again, whether those are appropriate will depend on who we're talking about and what your goals are. So that's something we can definitely discuss. And Jake, I read a frightening stat here. Americans who turn 65 in 2021 have an 83% chance of needing some type of long-term care before they pass away. And not covering that risk, I think, is the fastest way to tank your retirement goals. As I said, health care and taxes. So let's talk about taxes. Reducing the taxes that you owe, very, very important. Any money that we don't pay in taxes is money in your pocket, right? And so a penny saved is a penny earned, and I would argue that it's more than a penny earned if it's not going to taxes, just because I don't like paying taxes. I'll pay my fair share, but I don't want to pay one penny more, especially when you consider where the government is spending that money, if anybody's exactly. paying attention out there. Right. You know, I want to pay my part, but I do not want to pay any more than that. And reducing the tax burden is a massive part of any income plan, any retirement plan. It's something that we're always going to be looking at. And there may be some things we can do. There may not be things we can do. It depends on you know what type of money you have saved up, whether it's Roth or IRA money or uh, non-qualified money, which is basically just after-tax money. And depending on age and that kind of thing, there's some different things we can do. Back to the healthcare discussion. So how much you're subsidized for your Obamacare insurance if you retire early is based on how much income you have. So spending savings is not considered income if it's not retirement money. So there's some interesting planning things we can do to kind of lower your actual income while not lowering how much you're spending and then get you to pay less for the health insurance. So it's not taxes, but it's kind of like taxes. And <laughs> so it's uh, it feels like a tax for sure when you're paying the Obamacare premiums. But yeah, tax consideration is a really big thing. If we're careful on taxes, you know, it helps us squeeze a little bit more spendable money for most people. 
And I know that Rod Link is on your team, too. He's a tax pro is in the office at least once a week. And, of course, if you have tax questions, Rod is there to answer those tax questions for you. Finally, putting together an estate plan. Very important as to whether or not you're going to be okay in retirement. Can you elaborate on that one? So an estate plan basically dictates what you want to have happen when you're no longer here. As far as what happens to your stuff, your house, your assets, that kind of thing understanding where that money goes and who it goes to and all the different intricacies of that is what we're referring to when we talk about an estate plan. If you do not have an estate plan, one will be made for you by the probate court. And so they will dictate where it goes. And it also gives you know fraudulent creditors a chance to come in and get their hands into your estate. So having an estate plan is, is a big deal, especially if you care what happens to that money when you're gone. If you want your kids to have it, if you want your grandkids to have it, accounting for spouses and things like that of your kids, uh, making sure nobody gets disinherited. You know, there's a lot of considerations there. That's something an attorney can really help with a lot um, when you're dealing with like a, a will or a trust or what's appropriate, making sure you have powers of attorney, things like that. Those are all very important things to consider when it comes to your state plan. And really just when it comes to, you know, having a little bit of peace of mind, knowing that things are going to go the way you want them to go when you're no longer here and that your kids aren't going to have to fight over it and that kind of thing, you know, when that time comes. If our listeners want to know whether or not they're going to be okay in retirement, I would invite them to call 417-889-7233. Get in and sit down and talk with Jake about a retirement roadmap that'll get you to and through retirement, a retirement in which you not only survive, but you thrive. Again, no cost, no obligation. There's no judgment for this retirement plan. To get yours, 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. Just a friendly conversation between you you and Jake to answer your questions and put you on a path to a good retirement, the best retirement that you can have for yourself. Once again, 417-889-7233. You can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Jake, we're out of time for this week. I'm going to thank you certainly for your time, but most of all, thank our fine listeners here in the last basket of Sanity Springfield, Missouri for joining us. For Jake Floyd, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. The information provided in the preceding program is for educational purposes only and are not intended as investment advice for any individual or entity. All information contained herein believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representations as to its completeness or accuracy. The opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not constitute financial, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your financial professional before executing any financial strategy. Financial planning offered through Floyd Financial Group, LLC, an investment advisor registered in the state of Missouri.